Grapple fans, and welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Match of the Week, the series in which myself, your Let Me Tell You Something co-host Lorca Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host Simon Cross, take it in turns picking a match from the wide, varied world and history of professional wrestling to discuss, place in a modern context, place in a historical context, and place in a context, context, context. <laughs> you like contextception? Because we're going to give it to you. <laughs> contexts inside of contexts simon what match are we talking about today we're talking a match that takes place at SummerSlam 1994 between bull nakano and alundra blaze for the wwf women's championship so simon we have encountered nakano before in fact you picked a nakano match last year for a previous match of the week choice were you excited to see the big haired future f- professional golfer in action again yeah always down to her short game but not her short back and sides game evidently Way! well the back and sides is short it's just the front that's the uh, that's the problem if it is a problem <laughs> well jerry lawler seems to think it was but then didn't it's weird <laughs> the bride of frankenstein look very in yes now This was a match that I remember seeing fairly soon after it originally happened because I was able to get my hands on a copy of SummerSlam 94 that someone else had taped off the Teleoad Sky. That was, we've been over this before, being a wrestling fan in the 80s or 90s, very often reliant on other people having the source and being willing to share it with you. Yeah. And I remember they got some some 94 and it was a rare occasion of me getting to watch WWF pay-per-view. So it was a lot of fun watching it and not knowing the storylines really going in outside of the major ones of Bret Hart and everything. So like suddenly finding out that Diesel and Shawn Michaels had won the tag team titles the night before and Diesel was holding two belts. Yeah. Which my cousin, because my, my cousin Matthew, this was a rare instance from about 92 onwards where my cousin Matthew, who got me into wrestling, was watching it with me. And he was furious because he was like, but when the Ultimate Warrior won the WWF Championship, they told him he had to give up the Intercontinental Championship. <laughs> Even then, Vince didn't care about tag team wrestling. It's one rule for Diesel, one rule for Ultimate Warrior. To be honest, having seen the people they developed into behind the scenes, I, I-, I think that's quite fair. I had no real knowledge of Paul Nakano. I think I might have seen a photo of her in the WWF magazine in the build-up to the show. And she had such a great look with the, as we've already said, the, the beehive shock of hair going up. Yeah, but also the face paint, which is all—I guess—is meant to be—is meant to be veins, or is it meant to be thunderbolts? I suppose. I'm guessing it's veins. Yeah, I was going for like veins and maybe like like a poison seeping through her kind of thing. Yes, very good point. And obviously fitting in with Luna Vashan, who similarly had that sort of paint on her face. Yeah, and this was the match after the Brett Owen steel cage match that really stuck out to me when I watched it the first time this was stuff that I genuinely hadn't seen before not only in a a women's wrestling match which in America is usually 
a fair few steps behind in what they're not what they're capable of doing in the ring, but what they're allowed to do in the ring or what they were trained to do in the ring. But also the male counterparts. Bull Nakano was throwing out moves and holds in this match that I'd never seen before, mm. but really was sticking in my mind. I remember at the time I thought, if I ever become a wrestler, I might make my finisher what later came on came to be known as the Scorpion Cross, which was the move that Paige actually took up as her finishing submission hold. Yeah, the PTO. As an intended Bull Nakano homage. Like, Nakano's run in the WWF was short, very rarely on television, but really seemed to hold a legacy. She's frequently cited by women's wrestlers to this day as an inspiration. I remember, I think, at the Evolution show... When Beth Phoenix was on commentary, she was wearing a Bull Nakano t-shirt. Yeah. Whilst I was searching for this match on the WWE Network, one of the ways it came up was, I think it was called Becky's Choice, Nakano versus Blaze. Bull Nakano as a character, and Alundra as a foil, I, I think they help shape a lot of the women's wrestlers we have today in some way. Yes, even if not necessarily that they watched it directly at the time, that maybe they got into wrestling at a later date when it was the Divas stuff. But when they do the deep dive into it, and they want to see as much as they can, this would have probably been something that would have really stuck out to them. Yeah, because maybe in that section where it's like, you've seen your eighth bra and panties match, I'm like, well, I don't really want to do this. But then you see that the WWF did do other things like it. Like, so like... Even though you know it's already been in other federations, and obviously, like, Josie Wrestling, if you're that knowledgeable, you'll know about it at the time. But to see that it has been done before on the grand stage, the end goal for a lot of wrestlers, gives you hope. It's a spark. We encountered a lot of Joshi in the first section of our Meltzer Five Star project. And that was really the revolutionary moment, not for women's wrestling worldwide because it hadn't really been as big as it ever was in Japan until the rise of like the crush gals and them not only being wrestling stars but pop stars too Mm. and it's it was a lot of fun it was a it was a fascinating contrast between what they were doing and what we were seeing in the more frequently all Japan matches it was either all Japan women or all Japan pro wrestling that were the majority of the five-star matches from about match 10 to about match 60 in our run. Yeah. And they were both pushing the envelope uh, artistically. It seemed like our bugbear with the Joshi, if there was one, was that it was a lot of moves and a lot of innovation. But, you know, the, the key thing was we were sometimes frustrated the lack of selling and the number of uh, kickouts. Yeah. One of the frustrations in many ways with, with these series of matches, because I did end up watching four of the matches that they had that were filmed and televised. I watched the match they had on the 1st of August 1994 Raw, which was essentially a dress rehearsal of this match, where they go to a double count house. Yeah. It was like a teaser trailer. Then there's this match. Then they had a match in Japan where Nakano won the championship in the Tokyo Dome. And then they had the final match in their WWF series, the night after WrestleMania 11, where Alundra Blaze won the title back. And when I'd grown up, 
around that time, I one of the few WWF videos I got because you know back then it was fifteen pounds for a WWF video and. Fifteen pounds, and I'll be honest, fifteen pounds now is a lot for me to spend on a DVD or a Blu-ray. <laughs> but back then, with with no source of income and no credit cards to put it on, it was a big deal. And I got a video called Wham Bam Body Slam, hosted by the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, and it was just mostly dark matches that they record during TV tapings, explicitly for the purpose of putting it on. VHS. Okay. And so there were matches in it like um, Lex Luger and the Smoking Guns against Tatanka, Shawn Michaels and Diesel. Mm. There was Bret Hart against Owen Hart in a Lumberjack match, which Owen does win initially. Like Jim Neidhart comes in and attacks Bret Hart and Owen pins him and gets the win and actually celebrates with the belt and all the other Lumberjacks uh, until officials come out including pat patterson who grilla monsoon which was a running gag in with grilla monsoon whenever pat patterson would appear saying god boy did pat patterson let himself go. <laughs> look at that one. <laughs> and they put it to a video replay which i think was the thing going on in the nfl at the time i think that introduced it there according to var i remember jeff jarrett who was like the most vocal of all the other lumberjacks just yelling at the ref no that was last night <laughs> Uh, it probably was as well. That's what was funny. Um, and another one, and it was genuinely a reason I wanted to get it, and I think it might have been the VHS cover, which was another Alundra Blaze Bull Nakano match. Mm-hmm. And the cover, I think, if it was that, was Bull Nakano with the Scorpion Cross on Alundra Blaze. It's a great visual. Well, yeah, it's such a unique-looking hold. Uh, you think it's going to be the sharpshooter, which is what you understand res- you know, as a wrestling hold, and then just suddenly she turns it around and pulls her up by her arms, and it's such a... It's it's like a combination of different kinds of holds. I think it when Jim Cornette's commentating on the post-WrestleMania 11 match, he describes it as a cross between a Boston Crab, a figure-four leg lock, and uh, uh, I don't know what the other thing was. He Camel said, Clutch? Nelson. Sort of full Nelson. Camel Clutch, yeah. yeah. Well, that is what it is, essentially. It's a sharpshooter into a Camel Clutch. It's a great, nasty, bullying heel bit because she first pulls her up by the arms, but then she wrenches forward on the hair. Yeah. The thing that was curious watching these four matches in a row and also remembering what I remembered of Wham Bam Body Slam is they have their set formula of moves and they just fit it whatever into however long they've got. Yeah. It is essentially the same match over and over again. That's not a criticism. That's what pretty much all people do a house show loop. That is what they do. There's one like great visual as well. Like speaking of submission moves where she does a Boston crap, but she does it all with one arm. Yeah. And then she just has the other arm up and she's like that defiant stance like, what are you going to do, pal? I'm massive. Yeah, and she does a cross arm breaker as well. Again, just a move I don't think I would we, we would have any understanding of necessarily if you just watched American wrestling. Of course, to the smart equivalents of us in 1994, this was a big, big deal because Joshi had obviously been the talk of the tape trading scene for that time and the Meltzer five star ratings were a big deal and Bull Nakano was one of those figures. Although I'm trying to remember now if she was in any of the five star matches. No, Kong. Kong was in a few, but it was mostly Manami Toyota matches, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Unless there was a tag, which I'm forgetting. 
I don't think so. I think Nakano had a lot of four and three quarter star matches if you can tolerate watching one of them. <laughs> Garbage. To give Nakano credit as well, she doesn't just do her stuff. She plays the evil foreign heel well in this match in that she's an overwhelming bully. I mean, in all of these matches, the percentage of offense is like 80-20 in favor of Nakano, pretty much from the start she's dominating and blaze is great at just taking a shit kicking but being resilient and coming back and having those flashes of comebacks where and again it was like just certain moves that she would hit certain hope spots every time she did a hurricane rana or she hit a spin kick or the one that she really loved doing was sort of prototypical sling blade yeah uh, she'd do that three times in a row from different sides of the ring mm. and it just shows like her mobility as well and like how it, it visually stands out compared to a lot of certainly like undercard wwe stuff at the time uh i mean i know you say for SummerSlam that was after owen brett so that's a bit of a misnomer but generally you weren't seeing like a lot of sling blades at that time at all no no i mean this was this was state of the art. This was pushing. This was, as far as moves goes, this was every bit as spectacular as anything anyone else in the WWF was doing. Even people like the One Two Three Kid and Owen Hart, yeah, or Shawn Michaels, the biggest high flyers of the time. The pace and the ferocity with which they're going in this match is really standout, and it's a fascinating comparison to what women's wrestling was either side of this for the most part Mm. in america because vince was always keen to have a female presence in the wwf it's not like when the women's division finally was brought back and stayed in 1998 with the reintroduction of the women's title after alundra blazer's departure he'd always tried to bring it back you know when it was in the uh, in the mid 80s at the height of wrestlemania and rock and wrestling and all that it was hulk hogan mr t roddy piper and wendy richter yeah with cindy lauper and the fabulous moolah that was the other biggest match on the card that was the one that got the pop star involvement and wendy richter was a prominent character and so was the fabulous moolah in the Hulk Hogan cartoon series. Mm. The plan was to feature Wendy Richter prominently, but then contract disputes, and you had the original screw job. Yeah. Where Spider Lady won the title from her. <laughs> and then it just sunk into the lower part of the card again, which is where women's wrestling had basically always been. And obviously, as was later detailed in documentaries, the stranglehold that the fabulous Moolah essentially had on women's wrestling and who could get into the cards and, and the way that they had to wrestle yeah, just held the division back 30 years. And Alundra Blaze slash Medusa was maybe the first one to avoid that pathway mm. because she started elsewhere. She was trained up around, I can't remember who trained her up, but she everywhere she went they knew they had something special on their hands but they didn't know what to do with it or they didn't have the right environment for her yeah i mean it reminds me of that great gag in the south pole regional wrestling series on that they did where they build up natalia's character i can't remember what she was called they build her up on the show 
they introduce her, and then they realise they don't have any other women wrestlers for her to wrestle. <laughs> I still think it's a tiny misshapen man. <laughs> and that was the thing with Medusa. There was the only person that could really engage with her, I suppose, was Sherry Martel. But she was. They, they did cross paths in the AWA briefly, but then Sherry went to WWF, and they, and she did win the women's title off of Moolah. And it looked like they were going to build it around her then as the heel, but nothing much to do. She drops it to Rockin' Robin, and then the belt quietly gets retired, and she becomes a manager. Yeah. A prominent manager, you know, involved in pay-per-view main events, and put as the direct opposite of the other most prominent woman in WWF wrestling of that time, which was Miss Elizabeth. Yes. But neither of them put into the wrestling role. And so the women's title lays dormant for about five years, four or five years, until Medusa, Alundra Blaze, just gets fed up of being placed in WCW just as a valet. Again, prominent role. She's put in a high-profile role in the Dangerous Alliance and alongside Ravishing Rick Rude, and then that leads to her turning face to feud with Paulie Dangerously. But again, literally no one else for her to compete against. They had to do a bikini contest against um, Missy Hyatt. And that's obviously not what she wanted to do. So WWF bring her in because she's the first one that kind of reaches what Vince wants in that she's athletically gifted, she can perform, and she is, in Vince's eyes, what is required to be attractive. That there's a way that you can position her as sort of a... You know, she's not the Vince McMahon perfect vision, which we would like to find out would be Sable. And that's really been the model that he's followed ever since. Sable, Trish, Tory. Yeah. Even, you know, if anyone blonde comes in, they will be given a good chance. Yeah. To this day, you know, I, you know, Charlotte seems to get, seem to always be the company favourite out of all of the horsewomen. Mm. And Alexa Bliss gets, usually gets good booking. Dana Brooke got ridiculously overpushed when she first came to the main roster and when she shouldn't have been put in that position initially. And then when she did actually try hard and improve, kind of like uh, Chris Masters, by that point they already felt like, oh, no, you screwed up when you weren't ready and we're not going to give you the chance now. You might actually be ready. Yeah. Although recently she's been doing some good stuff in other divisions. Like, that aren't women's wrestling, but... But that's the thing. Yeah. But that's not what you're there for, really. That's not the dream, is it? No. no. To be fair, also, this isn't the first time they've had Japanese talent who are, like, a step above. Obviously, there was the Jumping Bomb Angels in the late 80s, and they were given some sort of pushes. They actually... There was a women's WWF champ, tag team championship in the 80s as well and so they would win those and they would be on TV but again and they won like the Survivor Series match in 1987 but it just dwindled out and fell out so they bring Alundra Blaze in but again it's just there's no one there she wrestles Heidi Lee Morgan I have no idea who that is exactly and again they're all of that fabulous Moolah school hair snapmares and that's about it your biggest move might be a second rope crossbody so they don't. All they have to go with her was also someone who was a bit out of time with Luna Vachon, and that was her first feud post WrestleMania after she won against Lilani Kai, who'd been the person that Wendy Richter wrestled at WrestleMania One. And then she has a match with Born Nakano in Japan when WWF were on tour. 
who Alundra Blaze we'd obviously seen get involved in that match of the week where she during that year period between AWA and WCW, she went to Japan and was trained up even more. And again, just was so many steps ahead of everyone else in America when she comes back. So really, Nakano's the one that can wrestle at her pace and her style and she enjoys working with. But it just becomes a thing that the women's division is Alundra Blaze and whoever she's wrestling for the title. And that's all it is. It's a, it's a division of two, essentially. Yeah. And you can't develop beyond that. And you, you need resources to develop that. And like you alluded to, unfortunately, with the... We'll put training in brackets, tra- or training in quote marks, rather, that Fabulous Muller had been dishing out. You were sort of hamstrung. You didn't have a big talent pool. Yeah, women's wrestling, the style of women's wrestling that was being presented in the US was always at least a decade behind what the men were doing. Yeah. But then you've got Alundra Blaze and Nakano doing something that men's wrestling wasn't doing outside of the indie scene, I suppose, with wrestlers like the 1-2-3 Kid and Jerry Lynn. Yeah. Sabu and Al Snow and ECW, I suppose. And so because of that, they're having these matches on the house show circuit for like, between SummerSlam and WrestleMania. But they're very rarely going on TV because of how do you present them. But as someone that was just reading it through the magazine, Alundra Blaze was still always prominently positioned. Because this was the key part of the WF in their, in their rebranding period, the new generation. Yeah. Which they pushed really hard. When I watched the post-WrestleMania 11 Raw, they got all these celebrities and every one of them were being clearly been told, say, the, the new generation. <laughs> Mention the new generation and mention Diesel, and then you're fine. So that's what Jonathan Taylor Thomas and uh, and Jenny McCarthy said. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, she didn't say anything about vaccinations. <laughs> well, Andrew Wakefield wasn't at his pomp. Then. No, not yet. So they're having these great matches, and I was, I was reading the magazine. I remember one of the features they had in WF magazine at the time was like a romance, like agony aunt column, where it was her and Shawn Michaels. <laughs> so Shawn Michaels was giving bad advice and Alundra Blaze was giving good advice. That sort of worked. Heartbreak kid. Go, yeah, it's on, it's on form. But I think one of the problems was that Alundra Blaze always saw herself as an athlete and a wrestler. And so I think because of that, Vince was like, I need more. I need to work with more than that. I can't just do that. Yeah. And so they gave them the matches and it was good to have on the sh- on the circuit. And those who got into it really got into it and it as we say, holds a legacy to this day. But in in and of that moment, they didn't really go anywhere with it. They were happy to have her go to Japan, lose the belts, and then, like, five months later, she wins it back on the Raw after WrestleMania. They don't put it on the WrestleMania card. They put it on the Raw after WrestleMania. And that was after, what, WrestleMania 11? Yeah, which is one of the weakest WrestleManias they've ever done. Yeah. You really needed the allied powers against Jacob and Eli Blue ahead of this. And again, these weren't long matches. They were having to cram in so much into... The SummerSlam match is like 7 minutes 40, I think. Yeah. The WrestleMania match is 6 minutes 50 or so. The match they have in Japan is an epic 9.5 minutes. (laughs) I'm sure on the house shows they probably went 15 or so. But... The, at least the SummerSlam match, it didn't feel rushed. It felt like it still told a good story in the time that they had. It was a sprint. Yeah, but not not a frantic sprint. It was a controlled sprint. You know what I mean? Well, I think it was a highlights package, essentially. That 
if if they'd have been given 50 minutes, maybe they would have had time to stop and sell for a bit. I mean, this is probably the least egregious one for for like no selling, because in two in the Raw match before this and the wrestle and the Raw match after WrestleMania 11, at both points, Alundra Blaze does a dive from the top rope to the outside, which looks great, and you know, again, a sort of spot no one was doing other than the one two three kid at this point in WWF. Nakano, like, goes right back into the ring the first time, and in the second time, she just reverses a whip in the next move into the steps. (laughs) You know, it's like we, we, you know, for all we can say about how people no sell now, it was still a problem there. And maybe that's a reflection of how, as we've said, as a common refrain, pretty much every wrestling move you love now is invented by a 19 year old Japanese girl. Yeah. Like, Joshi wrestling from the 90s is a clear influence on whether it directly or indirectly to the people who are wrestling now for what a lot of them are doing that it was like the most moves the most kickouts yeah the most flips the most like rotations on a suplex or something like that the the wrestlemania one is the real it does feel like a feud capper because like every fin every previous finish is kicked out of at that point yeah because it used to always be Nakano beats the shit out of Blaze. Blaze gets a few hope spots. Nakano goes for the top rope leg drop. Blaze dodges, hits the German suplex, wins. That was pretty much. I think. I think that was basically the finish to every match that they had almost around that time, and that's the finish to the SummerSlam match. I remember that being the finish to the uh, Wham Bam Body Slam match, or at least I know it finished with a German suplex. And uh, well, then in the Japan match, Bull Nakano actually does get to hit the leg drop. And wins the match then. And then in the WrestleMania match, she hits the leg drop and Blaze kicks out. Ah, okay. Then Blaze hits the German suplex and she kicks out. So then Blaze does a German suplex on the outside, sends her back in and hits another German suplex and gets the win. So it's like a logical line of progression for the finishes. But is it really recognised by commentators? No, they're they're not referring back to the previous matches. No, not at all. So it's just for us, basically just because I happen to watch all those four matches in quick succession that I got that. But, you know, there's a lot, this was a long feud on the house show circuit. People got to see it. But to the best of my knowledge, there weren't that many angles on, you know, they weren't doing angles on Raw or, or Superstars or anything to build it up. And that's what you needed. They will give Alundra Blaze the fancy new generation entrance with the better costume. Yeah. And the, and the ring entrance. And that was the key thing with the new generation as well was the graphics. Like when they come into the ring, that there'll be mood lights instead of just a generic entrance. They would have their specific lights and graphics on the, on like light displays. Like when Nakano's in the ring, there's like Japanese lettering yes. flashing up on the ring. Yeah. While she's doing a nunchuck display, but because that's all blacked out, you can't really see any of it. <laughs> Lit terribly, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So they, it's clear that they always wanted to do something with Blaze, but it's kind of like a lot of really some of Tony Khan's stuff with women's division. You can say it all that you like, but you got to back it up with more depth. Yeah. You know, and like I said, it's just Blaze versus X, and that's the women's division. It was Blaze versus generic Moolah graduates. Then Blaze versus Vashon, then Blaze versus Nakano. Literally after the WrestleMania match, she gets attacked by Bertha Faye, who's the next one that she then feuds with from 
WrestleMania through to the Survivor Series when they do a big eight-woman elimination match with loads of other women from Japanese wrestling, including Aja Kong. And that was what they were setting up after that for it to be Blaze versus Aja Kong, because Kong beat her in the... It was the sole survivor. But then the contract ends and the pink belt gets thrown in the waste paper bin. And really the thing that unfortunately seems to have defined Blaze slash Medusa more than anything. Which is a shame, because I think if she wanted to be remembered for anything, it would be this match. Yeah. I think she's embraced it. And I think now, especially when she recently went into the Hall of Fame and she was around people that she could sort of tell she she helped influence in a way, that that sort of healed that scar somewhat. And I think more and more people now are realising, like, more... What I mean, sorry, is more and more new generations are realising how seminal this moment was, how you've used the phrase out of time, and it's right how out of time it was, how this match, especially like even a few years ago in the women's division, wouldn't look out of place at all. It would, well, it would look out of place, but for a good reason. I think it would be, I think it would be better produced now. There's clear, you know, it's the Joshi thing of let's just do moves. I'll be a monster, you be a plucky underdog babyface, but it's not laid out with a third party who gives it all the right production mm, and mm. there's pauses for selling and working the camera. You know, yeah. so both for good and ill, it's different. It would have been different in ways it would be better, in ways it would be worse, I suppose. Yeah. If it happened now. But in terms of like, an athlete, from an purely athletic point of view, it doesn't look out of place at all. No. And that's the thing, like, I think so many people thought, well, there's only so good women can be in wrestling. But, that, you know, having watched this match, I was like, well, no. And also, I was reading about all those matches in Japan, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense, because I remember Vol Nakano was amazing. So I bet there's a whole load of those in Japan. So it was like, but when you looked at, like, the Divas era of wrestling, and really, all of them, all of them were clearly trained to not put too much force behind most of their moves. Yeah. It's like, that's what made, like, Nikki Bella's forearm stand out. Because that was like, you know, Masao would have been proud of some of those forearms she threw. Yeah. Like, they were told, until, as the four horsewomen were saying, there was a certain point at which you could only go in women's wrestling. Like, yeah. It was obvious when they'd run the ropes that they wouldn't, like, bounce off them necessarily. There would be good stuff, and, you know, the, the the better talented women like Alundra Blaze are pushing it for as far as they can take it. You know, your Michelle McCool's, your Beth Phoenixes, your Natalia's. Yeah. And Trish Stratus clawed her way to get up to that point. Lita sort of had it, sort of didn't have it at the same time. Mm. She had her weaknesses, but she also clearly wanted to push it further as well. Yeah. With her Lucha-inspired background. And it was really Trish and Lita that allowed wrestling. And that's another women's match I want to talk about. Although, well, we, we definitely will do something about Trish and Lita at some point. Because it's a, That's the next pivotal rivalry probably in wrestling, women's wrestling, after after this one, insofar as pushing it further. I guess you would say the one in between would be Sable and Luna, and that being such a prominently placed match at WrestleMania. And then Sable and Jacqueline, which sets up the women's division. It's been surpassed by later women's matches. Mm. But right up until 
most of the Divas era. I'm sure you could there'll be people that would make the case that this was the best women's wrestling match, at least in the WWF. And I can't think of many other candidates in North America at the time. Maybe there were some matches in WCW when they brought in all the Joshi wrestlers like Akira Hokuto yeah. and everyone in in 95 or so. Because Baldacano and Medusa reignited their feud in WCW. And they had a match on Hogwild where the loser gets their motorbike destroyed by the winner. <laughs> and they set it all up for it. It looks like they're going to build the WCW women's division around Medusa, which is why she'd left the WWF. But then they had her lose the final to Akira Hokuto in Starcade 96, and then lose a loser leaves town match to Hokuto as well. So she's suddenly forced into retirement in 97, on-screen retirement anyway. Like her last match with Bull Nakano is like 2 minutes 50 on an episode of WCW Monday Night. Oh no, are these Clash of the Champions actually? The last match they have is like 2 minutes 50 on Clash of the Champions. So, you know, it wasn't that much of a grass is greener situation for no. Medusa. Then she comes back in 99 as part of Randy Savage's entourage mm. where she's training both Miss Madness, who would then go to the WWE as Molly Holly, and Gorgeous George for a match against Charles Robinson. And then, you know, as is requirement, she gets the bolt-ons... And she gets put into Vince Russo's storylines where yeah. she seduces Evan Courageous and then wins the Cruiserweight title from him. <laughs> and then gets into a feud with Vince Russo's writing partner, Ev Ferrara, making fun of Jim Ross as Oklahoma. Oh, when he was Oklahoma. Yeah. Oh. And that was really the end of her time as a wrestler. And then she gets into monster truck driving, which is what she's been doing ever since then. And in recent years... The bridges were repaired between her and the WWE. She gets to come back, goes into the Hall of Fame as Alundra Blaze. That was always the thing when they bring them in, and it's always got to be the WWE name. It's like, yeah. it's, not, it's not Scott Hall going to the Hall of Fame. It's Razor Ramon going into the Hall of Fame. It's not Medusa, the original Paul Heyman girl, as she called herself. It's Alundra Blaze. Kevin Nash was like, no, you're not doing that to me. I am not going in as Diesel. <laughs> The more I hear about Kevin Nash, the more I just love him. It's like, I don't care. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> this was the thing. This was Vince was like, well, we've tried wrestling. Now let's try goofy WWF sports entertainment. Because then she's feuding with Bertha Faye and the whole gimmick with her is, she's fat! But <laughs> Harvey Whippleman fancies her. <laughs> Bertha Faye had also gone to Japan and was able to wrestle. But that was not what she wanted. they wanted her to be in the WWF. And the the beat goes on and the fight continues. And from what we understand with what some of the women in the NXT schools are currently being told, whether directly or indirectly by John Laurinaitis, it suggests the fight continues. With women in general. Um, the fight will always go on. Yes. As we've, as we've just found out in America. Yeah. Just when you think you're getting somewhere, you're not. It's just a sad situation. And... We've we look at all the stuff we've got, and especially in the last few years, that have come from women like Becky Lynch's run, insane. Doctor Britt Breaker's run, just with, with the first nine eighty five percent of it at least before it, it went on a little too long. Incredible. It's better than it was, but that doesn't mean it's yet at its optimal situation. Oh, no, it's not at its optimal situation yet. No, but it's. 
what I'm saying is anyone who's dismissive of women wrestling as a concept in 2022 is inherently stupid. This match showed that they were stupid in 1994. It's just now we've got far much more of a body of work and real life examples to back up the fact that we're right and they're wrong. Yeah, during the Divas time of wrestling, there would be people who would say, probably say, well, there's only so good women wrestling can be. And you can say, no, look at the 94 SummerSlam match between Alundra Blaze and Bull Nakano. It can be more. Yeah. And then eventually it did become more. And whilst that is pretty much a lost hit in, in the Divas era, this match was almost like a a lost history of women's wrestling in the WWF. Like, we don't talk about that. Mm. Now, because it fits closer to the corporate hashtag girl boss kind of feminism that, you know, fine... If it gets women into a more prominent position, then have your hashtags and let's just hope that we can keep, you know, building from there. That brings it back. And like you say, it's people like Paige, people like Beth Phoenix, giving the props to Bull Nakano, giving the props to Alundra Blaze slash Medusa means this will has been rediscovered. And I remember seeing like, a, a, you know, those mate, all those WWE, like an indie show. And they had them in the corner of two women wrestlers. And when they tease confronting each other, it gets a big reaction from the crowd. And that's pretty cool. You know, more than 25 years later, they're getting the props that they should have been getting throughout that time. And, you know, I guess Medusa is one of the great could have beens of wrestling. It's not like they didn't want to do something with her. But the effort that it would have been required was unfortunately... Because of everything that surrounded the women, there wasn't an infrastructure in place to best take advantage of her clear talents. I think she was in the wrong time for her career, mm. but she was in the right time for a lot of other people's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if Medusa was ten years younger, she would have. She may not have even been in the WWF that much, but she would have been a great knockouts champion. Oh yeah, you know. If she'd have turned up 20 years later, she would have been kicking ass in stardom, at the very least. She would have probably been positioned similar to Michelle McCool if she'd have turned up in WWE at that time. If she was happy, comfortable doing all the the uh, additional requirements of the swimsuit stuff and everything. Which never seemed to be her forte, particularly. But if it's like, okay, I'll deal with that to do this, you know. And look, she was willing to throw the throw a championship belt in the bin. So you know she can she can do what's required of her, even if it's reluctantly. Yeah, it's it's just whatever. Like you say, it's whatever you're comfortable with creatively, ultimately. So if you've never seen an Alundra Blaze Bulnakano match, do so. Ninety four SummerSlam, the Japanese show, the WrestleMania show, the WrestleMania match, all of them are worth a watch. They're all pretty much of the same. They're not perfect, but they're it's like proto punk. Yeah, it's like listening to. Uh, the 1974 proto-punk sound of death. If you look at the ma- a band called Death documentary, which is just three black brothers in Michigan doing a sound that's suspiciously very close to what the New York Dolls were doing just two years later. And that was when it blew up. That's where I would say, was this the first time you'd watched this match as well? Sorry, Simon. This specific match, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't seen a lot of Lunge of Um It's just more that I knew who she was yeah 
if that makes sense. Yeah, and she wasn't the complete package. If she'd have had better people to be around, she would have become a better wrestler as well. So because of that, it works with this one because it's just take a shit kicking, hit these moves that you can do, and then, you know, hit take me with a German hit me hit it with the German suplex and take it home. But yeah, that's where we've been. That's this match. For the next episode, assuming there are no five star matches, we're gonna continue with another women's match. We're going to TNA. Simon, what's the next match we'll be covering? We are talking about Gail Kim taking on Awesome Kong for the knockout aforementioned knockouts championship at Final Resolution 2008. But until then, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with some other recommendations, perhaps for more Awesome Kong, Gail Kim, Alundra Blaze, or Bull Nakano matches, or how to get the Bull Nakano hairstyle for yourself, <laughs> how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the cans of hairspray required to get that Bull Nakano fringe. <laughs> My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N N U W L. A for Alundra, N for Nakano. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you're putting out gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtwisepod at gmail.com. LMTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great week. Until the next week.